Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, a psychologist, health coach, and married mom of two boys. I went from a frazzled working mother who hit snooze until the last possible moment to a vibrant business owner who jumps out of bed at 5 a.m. excited about my day. I once felt completely overwhelmed by my endless task list, but have learned to work smarter, not harder, by studying health habits, mindset, and time management. I love to teach others how to implement top recommendations for health, happiness, and success. Yes, busy moms can follow a nutrition plan that supports their goals, create a daily exercise routine, and stay on top of their to-do list, and go to bed feeling fantastic about the day. Tune in each week as I share my best strategies for creating and sustaining daily habits for a healthy lifestyle, and chat with other experts in the health and wellness industry. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Carol Perlman, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Today, I have a great guest with me, Jolie Slovis, and Jolie is an anxiety life coach, and we are going to have an incredible conversation about a new topic. We haven't really covered this on the podcast yet, so I'm so excited uh, for you to meet Jolie and to hear about the work that she's doing. So welcome, Jolie. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here. So glad you're here. So tell me a little bit, you know, you've worn a lot of hats, you have a lot of education. So tell me about a little bit about your training and the work that you do. Okay. Yes. I have a bunch of letters after my name, that's for sure. Yeah. But um, everything is rooted in the helping professions. But um, I went to University of Michigan undergraduate and I fell in love with psychology and I majored in that. And then I went after that to Columbia University for two graduate degrees, one in education, one in social work. From that, I had many helping profession, quote unquote, careers. So I was a social worker at an early childhood child guidance center. I was a therapist. I did therapist therapy with children. I became an educator. I was a first grade teacher, a third grade teacher, a fifth grade teacher. And then I'd say the most momentous helping profession that I did was mothering. I had, you know, I've had three children and all amazing, wonderful, gracious, adorable with challenges every day of their life as well. And so mothering is definitely my most proud of professions for sure. And that continues today. And then I became a guidance counselor. So I evolved very much um, in those earlier years, in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. I really went through the different professions, really looking, always feeling like there was more of a purpose that I could serve. I ended up having a very sex, se successful career as a college guidance counselor. And I helped children all over the country apply to college. I did that for 15 years, both in high school and privately. And I loved what I did. I loved, loved, loved it. And in 2017, however, so I got divorced in 2007, I became a single parent. And then in 2017, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I would say up until 2017, I was a very high functioning, anxious woman. Anxiety always played a role in my life. 
And I am fully convinced that a lot of the poorer decisions that I made in my 20s and 30s or the demise of my first marriage or when I first started parenting, a lot of the decisions were based out of fear. I can only imagine what life would have been if that high functioning anxiety was managed, but it wasn't. And, you know, at some point I did go on medication, which I'm still on today. I am a proponent of medication. However, there is so much more you can do that I never did until I was diagnosed with breast cancer. When the anxiety went to a level that it was unmanageable. And so that was a huge turning point for me. And I know it's crazy to say, I am thankful and blessed that it happened. Now, ask me that five years ago and I'd tell you you were crazy. Ask me that Tuesday when I have my checkup with my oncologist and I would tell you that day I would probably be like, yeah, no. But the big picture really is, is it forced me to go beyond just medication, to work with my anxiety, to become a team with my anxiety and befriend it and have compassion for it and work through it. So and can I jump in for a quick moment? Um, yeah, it's incredible. I knew some of this story, but I didn't know all of this. And so clearly you are a helper kind of person that's in your heart. It's who you are. And you had a lot of different careers and played a lot of different roles. And I imagine you helped a lot of people over the years because that's just who you were. And you had the education to refine your your strategies. Um, but isn't it interesting how sometimes your own experiences can become the greatest teacher of all and they can really propel you even further to do this work, kind of knowing how much you struggled. And, you know, many years ago, 10, 20 years ago, we didn't know as much, 30 years ago, we didn't know as much about anxiety as we do now. And so we now really do know that, yes, for some people, medications are an important part of healing. But like you said, there are so many strategies that we can use but sometimes it's really hard when you're in the middle of it to kind of find your way on your own. And sometimes it really helps to have another person guiding you through it. So I can really appreciate how what you're saying, you know, your own experience became the greatest teacher to you and how I think this might be where you're headed. I'll let you continue, but how it may have mm -hmm. kind of nudged you forward into the next phase. So, OK, keep going. Oh, 100 percent, because I would say, Carol, for two years after my diagnosis, I suffered tremendously. I withdrew. I shut down. The only thing I had energy for was parenting and with um, and being a wife. It became. It became unmanageable. But it didn't just last for a week. It took me two years before I woke up one morning. And it was a cold day and I put my head on the window and I looked outside and I said, and I started to cry and I said, I need to do something more, you know, and that age old saying came into my head, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I happened to have lunch with a friend that day and she recommended that I see a life coach that she had, that she knew. And I had never had experience with a life coach. I had always had an experience with a therapist or a psychopharmacologist. 
And immediately after first meeting her, the biggest difference to me was that when I was in therapy or with my psychopharmacologist, I felt like a patient. And with my life coach, I felt like a student. Mm -hmm. And it was such a different vibe. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because it was, I love learning. I love learning new things. I From reading to online courses to crafts, whatever it is, learning works for me. I'm a forever student. So mm -hmm. feeling that way gave me a tremendous sense of hope. Tremendous. And I dove in wholeheartedly with her. Mm -hmm. And it was life-changing. It was. It was so much so. I left a successful career. I went to school to become a certified professional life coach through um, an organization called IPEC. So that's what CPC stands for next to my name, Certified Professional Coach. And that was a year and a half of school and learning and hours and supervision and practice and mentoring. And then I developed a signature coaching program. It's called the Heart Holders Coaching Program, specifically for women with anxiety. Amazing, amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit more about this program. So the Heart Holders Program, it really is based on what worked for me and all the research that I have done since. And in this program, there are three pillars of learning um, because we can't like medication deals with only one small thing. It deals with a very physical piece of your brain. Um, so on top of that, for me, and you, this is with or without medication for anybody, it's, it's a 3C framework. Calming your headspace is the first C. And what takes place in that pillar of learning are how to center yourself when you are in the throes. Remember, you said it's not so easy when you're going through it to see it. The first thing we have to do is get centered. We can't do anything until we are centered. So it's teaching the strategies to center. And once you can do that, once you're out of the fear response or the feeling icky response, you can do some wonderful thought work, mindset work. Mm -hmm. And that is, that was what was really life-changing for me was that I had the power to shift my thoughts, which shifted how I felt, mm -hmm. which shifted how I acted and then gave me different results. So and that is the coaching methodology. Yep. That's very familiar to me as a cognitive behavioral therapist. That's the same model that we work with. So yeah, very, very similar. Yeah. Yes. So there. So the so three calming your headspace, on your headspace. Yeah. Connect with your body. So that's nutrition, hydration, sexual health. That is movement. All of those are the foundations for feeling good and happy, which is what we don't feel when we're feeling anxious. And so building upon those habits, you would know how important those habits are because this is what you do, that the habits of connecting with your body are just as important as calming your headspace. Mm -hmm. And then the third pillar is creating community. Human beings thrive on connection. 
I help my clients create community from themselves for themselves. And that can happen in so many different ways. I'll use myself as an example. Um, I moved to Memphis a few years ago and I didn't really know anybody. And I started playing pickleball. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It, it fits all three of those pillars. It calms my headspace. It helps me connect with my body and it created a community mm -hmm. because I do it with people. Mm -hmm. You and I talking right now is a way to create community, reaching out to a life coach and working with either a group coaching program or one-on-one -on -one is creating community. Joining a book club is creating community. Mm -hmm. Taking an online class is creating community. And the pandemic really screwed that up for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm sorry about the dings. Um, so the three pillars are the foundation of creating a really individualized treatment plan based on where my client is at the time. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. And anxiety is like walking around with your fingers in your ribs. You know, if you put your fingers in your ribs, it hurts. Sometimes it hurts a lot and you can't do anything. Sometimes it's just a little bit nudgy and you can do your things, but, you know, something on the back burner is bothering you. And the thing about the finger in your ribs is it steals your joy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, you could be thinking about the most wonderful thing in the world or telling somebody about the most amazing experience you have. The second you put your finger in the ribs, you can't even breathe or focus anymore. Mm -hmm. So that anxiety, the coaching that I do is all about softening up the fingers in your ribs. I've not heard that that um, metaphor. I love it. I think it's so perfect. Um, it, it's one that stood out for me. They use mm -hmm. it at my coaching school and I'm like, yeah, yeah, on because that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yep. And would you say that that quote unquote finger in the rib, it could be a physiological manifestation of anxiety, but it could also be a thought that because as I as I see it, sometimes the thought just zips on by. We don't even realize we have it. But then all of a sudden we we feel differently or you feel the anxiety. So do you think that poking in the rib could be a thought or a physical manifestation of anxiety? Absolutely. All of the above choice. G. Yeah. Basically, what happens, so anxiety, yes, there are different brain types. There are different levels of chemicals in different people. People are definitely, some people are more susceptible. You could be sitting next to a person and be witnessing the same thing. You're peaceful. They're crazed. You know, there's so many things that go into why a person has anxiety. Okay, so yes, that could be internal and they're predisposed to it or... It could be the messages that they've grown up with. I mean, my mother was scared of the entire world. So of course I was going to be scared of the entire world. Mm -hmm. But I think I probably also have a chemical thing. Who knows? The point is, is that what anxiety is, is something occurs. There's a circumstance, right? And that makes us feel a certain way. We, we go directly to the feeling. Mm -hmm. Jolie was diagnosed with cancer. That's a fact. I felt scared out of my mind. That's also, you know, my feeling. Mm -hmm. What so many people don't realize that in between circumstance and feeling is a thought. Mm -hmm. And it's either subconscious or we zip by it, like you said, and we don't even know that we're having that thought. Yeah. And thoughts can be shifted. 
So at that point, my thought was probably, I'm going to die. I was just diagnosed with cancer and I might die. That, that, I'm so sorry. That's my thought. I might die. Of course, I'm going to be terrified. But then you have to challenge your thoughts because your thoughts are perceptions, perceptions of the event. That's what thought work is, really exploring your thoughts mm -hmm. and, and asking, is this true? Is this 100% true? No, it's not 100% true that I was going to die. That was not 100% true. How would I feel moving forward if I couldn't have that thought? What if I flipped that thought? I'm going to live. Then how would I feel? Mm -hmm. And then how would I act? And it's easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice to work with your thoughts. And you can't even begin to do it unless you've centered yourself from that fear response, mm -hmm. that bodily response. But the thought piece is so important. And every thought we have causes our brain or our gut to release chemicals. Mm -hmm. Those chemicals will make us jittery, scared, nauseous, headachy, muscle achy, all of those things. You can't explore your thoughts when you're feeling that way. So the first step is always pause, the power of the pause, which is so important. And there's so many different ways people can do that. Can you give us some examples? So when you talk about centering, so what could that look like? Okay, so centering. So if we're talking about wanting to interrupt a fear response, mm -hmm. okay, you're anxious, your heart's racing, or you just feel edgy or you don't feel good in your skin, okay? Deep breathing is a centering exercise. And you want to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth with the exhale being longer. So how do we do that? There's... 10 different ways that we can. There's the five finger breathing where you breathe in and breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, following your finger on your, on your um, hand. There's breathe in twice short, breathe out long. There's breathe in to the count of three, breathe out to the count of five. Your heart cannot beat quickly if you are breathing slowly. Mm -hmm. And so it brings your nervous system down a notch, deep breathing. And the amazing thing is that you don't need any props. You can do that wherever you are. You can always do wherever that. Wherever you are. The other thing is centering with senses. When we introduce our senses, we our brain, the fear response gets interrupted. So just like quickly popping a sour candy into your mouth activates the sense of taste. Mm -hmm. And you sit there sucking it and you close your eyes and you focus on the taste, your heart rate will come down. Amazing. Or the jitter will snort and mm -hmm. calm down. Drinking a really cold glass of water stimulates the vagus nerve, which is actually the longest nerve from your brain to between your gut and chest. And it's responsible for rest and digest mode. Mm -hmm. So if you can stimulate your vagus nerve, your body relaxes. Drinking a cold glass of water does that. So these are like the physiological mm -hmm. things you can do to create a pause, which then allows you to reflect on your thoughts instead of just react to your feelings. Mm -hmm. If you get scared, 
I don't know about you. When I'm scared, I'm in bed with the covers over my head. That's how I act. Mm-hmm. Get in yeah. bed and I go over and I don't even think about what my thoughts are. I just know that I'm feeling scared and I need to find safety. Mm-hmm. So if it's the learning of the centering that allows us to reflect instead of just mm-hmm. react. Oh, that makes it so good. Yes, this makes so much sense and is so good. Yeah. Um, so let's see, you know, I always like to talk about tips and kind of break things down into concrete strategies that people can use. So let's see if we can consolidate into five tips that you would share with people to manage anxiety. And, you know, we you we went over the example of your cancer diagnosis, which is so, so difficult. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that we are clear that anxiety can be from one extreme to the other, from the very, very big threats, even to the things that are small threats, but feel really big. It, it can be. We might not even know the threats. Yes. Also, some people just get headaches and they don't even realize that they're even having anxious thoughts. I had a woman call me the other day. said, I didn't even know I was anxious until I read this. Yeah. Yeah. So it can look really different. So what would we say? Five tips for people to manage anxiety. So the most important, one of the most important things I really think is normal is a mess. Okay. You are not alone. And it is the strong person who seeks help, not the weak person. And that if we can look towards self-compassion over self-judgment, it just is what it is. If you were diabetic, you would be taking insulin. Mm-hmm. If you were building a business and going bankrupt, you would seek a business consultant. Fixing things is normal. Yeah. And by the way, if you are str- if you're struggling, you're normal. Normal people struggle. So I think self-compassion is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Um, The second tip, like I said before, the power of the pause is monumental. Learning how to get yourself out of feeling the bodily feelings allows you to, number one, reflect on your thoughts, but it gets rid of becoming anxious about being anxious. Yeah. Like if you have an anxiety attack or you're feeling really anxious, anxious driving. So you're an anxious driver. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, you're not going to want to drive because you're not going to do it because you're going to be scared about getting scared. Mm-hmm. You'd be scared about getting the anxiety attack. But if you know how to center yourself, if you know and can prove to yourself that deep breathing or popping that sucking handy or getting an ice pack is going to bring it down, then all of a sudden you're okay doing things scared. Because you have the control to take care of it if it happens. Wow, that's really big. Isn't that profound? Yeah. Because so much of anxiety is about being anxious, about being anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like that high, that second level. I was thinking about this before. You know, there's the experience. You had a thought or your body felt a certain way, so you feel anxious. But then there's that whole second layer, the judgment about the fact that you're having anxiety and what that means to you and what you say to yourself about that. So it's a double whammy. And I think that's what you were getting at. That's what I was thinking you were getting at when you said, talk about um, practicing self-compassion is getting rid of that second level and normalizing, you know, strong, successful people experience this and we got to treat it and address it, but we we don't have to let that second layer compound the difficulty. It just makes it worse. It just worse. All right. What's number three? Number three I just had a really good idea. Okay, so number three is that 
you are not your thoughts. Thoughts are perceptions. And it's really important to realize that our thoughts come from all the messages that from growing up, experiences that we've had, and that challenging your thoughts. Don't necessarily believe them. Anxiety loves to lie to you, loves to anxiety loves to exaggerate, loves to stir your pot and challenge it. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, sometimes we'll have a thought, we'll be like, wow, can't believe I thought that. All right. You thought it. Move on. You know, it's so interesting. You just made me think of this. You know how like we'll sometimes say when all of a sudden we can't remember something like, oh, I just had a brain fart. And we refer to that as um, forgetting something like my brain just malfunctioned and I couldn't remember it. But it's almost like these anxious thoughts are another form of brain farts. <laughs> and, you know, like right. they just spew this inaccurate or unhelpful information Absolutely. or words. And we don't have to give them value, just like we don't give it a whole lot of value when we just temporarily forgot something. You would challenge it if it was a person and not your anxiety, which leads me to the next tip, which is going to sound a little silly and funny, but it is a really good tip. Name your anxiety. I saw you made a post like that and I wanted to know what did, what have you named yours? I was dying to know. I named my anxiety's name is Jenny. Mm-hmm. Another reason, and I talk to Jenny all the time and it separates the anxiety from me. Mm. Anxiety is an inner voice, an inner critic, an inner voice, an inner policeman, an inner protector, all of those things. And I named her Jenny because when I was a kid, I was six years old. I told my father to only call me Jennifer. Because Jolie was a weird name. Mm. I didn't know anyone else named Jolie. Mm-hmm. And I felt really different. And that caused me to feel self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I don't know why, but when I did this exercise of naming my anxiety, I named her Jenny. But for that reason, she came up. I love that. You know, so and having conversations with Jenny is really interesting, you know, and listen, I'll give you just a very quick example of a conversation that I just had with Jenny, which was, you know, I live in Memphis and I live in Memphis, if you didn't know. And Lisa Marie Presley just passed away. Went into cardiac arrest. But I read a news story somewhere that she had a really bad stomach ache right before it happened. Fine. Last week, I have a stomach virus. Okay. And I said to my husband, do you think it might be cardiac arrest? And by the way, I was serious. Mm-hmm. Jenny was telling me, ooh, it might be worse than a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. Health anxiety is something I battle all the time because of my breast cancer. Health anxiety when we think other things are going yep. on and they're just not. And so I battled that. And <laughs> Adam was, and my husband was like, you know, I had a stomach ache last night and I didn't think that. I'm like, well, you didn't know that Lisa Marie Presley had a stomach ache right before she went into cardiac arrest. So to me, it was a very normal way to think. Mm-hmm. And you know what? For an anxious person with health anxiety, yeah, it is a normal way to think. It doesn't mean it's fact. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I can't challenge it. And so the conversation is, you know what, Jenny, calm down. Right now, it's just a stomach ache. If I start having numbness in my arm or shortness of breath, we can revisit this. Mm -hmm. And it went away. Amazing. Instead of letting it blow up. So naming your anxiety Mm -hmm. separates it. It gives you 
distance mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the most amazing techniques that I use with my clients and that are really, really work well. That is so, so good. Um, all right. So what I think we might have one or two more. So what's the next one on the list? So I said it before, getting help is strong, not weak. There are tremendous resources out there. Um, coaching is different than therapy. So know the difference between coaching and therapy. Therapy will bring you back to understand the roots. And therapy, if you are clinically anxious, post-traumatic stress disorder, healing from a trauma, um, generalized anxiety disorder, you know, obsessive thoughts, what things that are clinical, mm-hmm. then you're better off seeing a therapist mm-hmm. over Coaching relies on it's based on the premise that your client is healthy and capable. They just can't get out of their own way, mm-hmm. which is basically everybody. Yep. And, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to be? Why aren't you there? And helping them move forward. Again, teaching, guiding, mm-hmm. feeling like a student, not a patient. So when you work with your clients as a life coach, so um, tell me a little bit about how that works. And I'm curious, you know, as you're talking about the difference between therapy and life coaching, one of the things that I think is sometimes hard as a therapist is the limited contact. You know, I see people for 45 minutes a week. So I'm curious um, for you to share how you work with clients and do you have increased contact in between meetings? That is such a great question, Carol. So I work with clients in three different ways. Okay. The first is one-to-one coaching and that is weekly with email text in between if needed. And then I also have a group coaching program where, you know, I limit it to about 10 people in a group and that's like bi-weekly Zooms, but that has a Facebook community that's 24 Mm seven. So they have each other and me in that group all the time. And then I have a free Facebook group which doesn't have the group coaching, but it has once a week Facebook lives Mm -hmm. that I'm doing personally that anybody can come in and ask questions. And they also have a community for themselves. So I think with social media, it is easier to be in constant contact. It is beautiful. I mean, I've seen it in the groups that I've run and the groups that I've been a part of. Uh, obviously, you and pe- the people listening probably know this. I'm a huge fan of social me- media if it's used well and with care and with good boundaries. But I just think it is mind blowing what can take place in these Facebook groups, the community, the connections, people that you might never have met in your life, people that you might even never meet in real life. Um, it's you really can build connections and it may be a little different not better or worse, but just different across the board than some of your in real life um, relationships. But just the power of that group community cannot be under. I totally agree. And I think being able to offer um, something at different levels, at different price points. Yeah. It's very important for me to have a free group because I wanted anyone to get access. And when I began, I was specifically for women with cancer. Right. I remember that. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many women were like, well, will this work if I didn't have cancer? Yes, it'll work if you didn't have cancer. And that was how it kind of ballooned into just women. 
with yeah. anxiety. And, you know, now I, I call myself an anxiety relief coach, you know, with a signature coaching program that is just the foundation to meet a client where they are at mm-hmm. and help, you know, there's no cure for anxiety. And sometimes anxiety is good. It stops us from running into the middle of the street. It stops us from putting our hand on the stove. It stops us from talking to a stranger that looks like they might be shady. Sometimes anxiety is good. No anxiety is bad. Yeah. When it starts to interfere with our joy, when the fingers in our ribs become too much of a, a block in enjoying our life. For sure. That is the, the time. That's when it's time to reach out and get some help and know you don't have to figure this out on your own. You are not weak for reaching out for help. I mean, we are so actually very strong. Yeah. We're so lucky in this day and age that there is so much available. And so I want to share where people can find you because I know I've learned a lot just by following you on Instagram. You're oh, posted. That. Amazing. Oh, that. Thank so you. where can people find you both in terms of the Facebook community, Instagram, and if they want to work with you? Okay, so the Facebook, first of all, you can follow me, Jolie Nan Slovis. It's a personal page that I just use for business as well. I also have a free Facebook group called Heart Holders, Wellness and Self-Care for Women with Anxiety. And the link to that is on my Jolie Nan Slovis Facebook page too. You'll okay. see. We'll also put it in the show notes too. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, on Instagram, my handle is at, Jolie Slovis. And that is purely anxiety content. Yeah. A few pictures of my kids here and there, but mostly anxiety content. I post tips. I post tutorials. I post demonstrations of breathing. I'm in the stories. I'm in the reels. I'm in the posts. And that is a free and easy way just to connect with me. Available DM. I also have a website, JolieNanSlovis.com. Amazing. So many ways that people can find you and learn from you. I actually also have a free download. If you go to my Instagram and you click the link there, it's a link tree. Yep. So you can also go to link tree slash Jolie Nan Slovis. There is a free download in there. 15 ways to break up with your anxiety. And it is a lot of them are those centering techniques for the power of the pause. And then some of them are not necessarily you're having an anxiety attack, but you're feeling the urge of the fingers, not total poking and what and some techniques that you could do. There are 15 in there. Amazing. You don't have to do all 15. Maybe you work. I personally do four of them, but 15 of them as options for you to choose from. It is an invaluable resource. Which actually reminds me, I want to say something. We were talking about this before we recorded. So we, I wanted, want, want you to repeat what you said to me about habits, about how, you know, it's one thing when you're in the middle of an anxiety moment or an anxiety attack and you're trying to get yourself out of it. But will you share what you said to me about the habits for preventing and, and maintaining an anxiety-free lifestyle? What, let's repeat. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there is no such thing as an anxiety-free lifestyle. What there is, is an awareness and a management. It is a practice and we have to practice it every day. And when we practice something every day, it becomes a habit. So every morning I will, as part of my morning routine, because I, a lot of people with anxiety wake up in the morning and they're 
thoughts are racing. So I practice a very calming morning routine. It's the same thing every day. I wake up, I do a neck stretch. I do some slow breathing for about five minutes. I have coffee with a mug that has my dad's face on it. And I tell him how I want to feel that day. We have to tell our brain what we want. I want to feel peaceful today. I want to feel motivated today. I want to feel, I want to feel sad today. Sometimes people just need to have a day to feel sad and that's Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. As long as you are choosing it and it's intentional. Mm -hmm. Setting, you're setting an intention for the day. And that is really important because it sets you up. And one of the best habits that you taught me was the gratitude habit that you If I know, and I do, I know that every night before I go to sleep, I'm writing down three things that I was grateful for that day or thankful for, or a happy moment or something that made me smile. Okay. And if I know I'm doing that, I am looking for things during the day. I am actively seeking out during the day, those happy moments. And, and I'll tell someone, I just met someone at the airport the other day that was divine. It was a TSA guy. He was so adorable and sweet and I'm great. And he, he was just wonderful. And I said to him, you know what, sir, I'm putting you in my gratitude journal tonight. You made me smile. And he yeah. loved it. It's but so when, if I wasn't doing a journal, would I even appreciated him? I don't know. Yeah, the act of tracking. So I won't go go off on a whole nother tangent, but the act of, act of tracking something makes you more mindful during the day because you know you're going to write it down. Just like if you know you're writing down what you're eating, you might be less likely to swipe that cookie because you know you're going to have to write it down. So I love how you applied that to gratitude. When you know you're writing it down, it makes it makes you become more on the lookout during the day and then you get to experience the feeling more during the day. And especially for people who are susceptible to anxiety, our brains scan the world for what's wrong. Yeah. Our brains scan the world for, hmm, do I need to be nervous about that? What's that going on? The news, all of everything. As an anxious person, we scan for what can go wrong. Mm -hmm. So when we shift that to looking for, well, what's going right today? What what made me happy today? What, you know, I call them joy snacks. What, you know, like what are like playing with my dog? Mm -hmm. No, starting to flip the switch a little bit. It doesn't mean you're not going to look at the world and wonder what's going on, but you're balancing it. Yeah. And then hopefully sooner than later, you start, that becomes the norm. Yeah. Right. Instead of what's wrong. And then your thoughts start to shift. I think that is a great way to end. I mean, I could talk to you (laughs) all day long, but this was so good. Thank you so good for sharing your your thoughts. (laughs) Well, I was going to actually say you can tell them that they're on my gratitude list because they made me smile seeing these cute little fluffy things (laughs) in the background. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, in your journal tonight, <laughs> I will. So I actually, I only do my journal in the morning, but listening today, I think I'm going to add one for the evening. I can see that there's a lot of benefit for that as well. For um, me, there is. I used to do it yeah. in work. For me, you know, I have this little journal that I use and it's a prompt. It's a guided journal where it gives me a little yep. thing. 
And then I always add at the end, you know, my my joy snacks from the day. Joy snacks. That's another one. I just love that. We're going to have to make a graphic so we can share that. I love that. So you got it. Oh, Julie. Julie, thank you so much for being on today. This was so much good information. I know it's going to be invaluable to my listeners. So I thank you so much for being here today. And I'm excited to continue to follow your work as a life coach. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. Oh, it's so great. And thank you everyone for listening today. I'll be back again next week with another episode. So join me then. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Healthy Habits for Life. If you love today's episode, please follow me on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. These are so important and will enable others like you to find this podcast. Also, please share this podcast with your friends you know would also love it so we can get the word out. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week.